Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, listen to what the word says. Paul is speaking here to Christians in Philippi, and he says in Philippians 3, 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. I want to talk to you this morning from a sermon titled, Let's Press Our Way to the Finish Line. And we have no screens. Is that being worked on? Hallelujah. Sample text, verses of scripture. Hallelujah. Let's press our way to the finish line. Look at somebody and say, press. Pray with me. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us for delivering us, God, from sin, ourselves, and our situation. God, thank you for giving us a place to gather today as we come and gather in your name. God, I thank you for your presence here, and I ask you to have your way. God, I pray that you would strengthen my body now to say the things that would honor you. Let us learn from you, so we ask you to be our teacher from your word by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's press our way to the finish line. We're here today in church and that's a good thing but people come to church for different reasons some come because they want to be here some come because they're made to be here and others come for all different types of stuff in the middle in front of that and behind it some come because they have a drug problem not that kind of drug problem. Mama and daddy drug them to church. And that, that's the best kind of drug problem. Listen, parents, all children need to have at least one drug problem in their life. Don't send them, drag them. It, well, bring them if, if they're willing to come. Drag them if they're not. But I thank God for what God is doing in our young people. I thank God for what he's doing in our church. God is moving. We're seeing people get saved, healed, delivered, filled with God's spirit. We cannot continue to do what's been happening this week, almost weekly, at least the last three weeks in a row. Our Saturday food and clothing ministry has not just set brand new record highs week after week after week, but obliterating record highs. We fed almost 300 people yesterday out of our food bank here uh, on this property. When you start feeding more people in the community than what's showing up on Sunday morning, you know you're reaching into the community. You know you're not guilty of what most churches are guilty of today, just having a building inside a community and operating inside those four walls without impacting the community. I want to ask you to get involved in the church, get involved in doing what God has called us to do. But I know people come for different reasons, and that's cool. Because being here allows you the opportunity to let God speak to you, to let God impact you. We, we're here for many reasons, scripturally, and correct reasons. We come to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. If you ever ask, have someone ask you, why, do your, why does your church meet on Sunday when all of God's people met 
on Saturday, and certain denominations still meet on Saturday today. Well, you can let them know that the New Testament tells us that our religion is based on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. The apostles met on Sunday morning for a very specific reason, because it was getting up Sunday morning. The day that Jesus rose from the dead was a Sunday, so they memorialized and gathered together on Sunday to celebrate resurrection. I don't want you to wait till Easter Sunday morning to think about Resurrection Sunday. Every time Sunday rolls around 52 times a year, you need to think about resurrection. And you need to be thankful for the price that Christ paid on the cross. So we come to celebrate his resurrection. We come to praise and worship him. And we have got to. Now, I know we've got people out. I know that we've got people doing different things. But listen, when we call a portion of our service praise and worship, it shouldn't be what we call it on the bulletin. It should be what it is. Many churches, the only part of praise and worship, the only thing that makes it a praise and worship service is its title in the bulletin. I don't want that to be true in your heart. We start all of our services with praise and worship. That means you get to sing to the Lord. That means you get to take time and say thank you to God. That means you get to express your love in a tangible way to God. The Bible says if two or three are gathered in his name, he's there. So God is here watching. He sees your service. He sees your worship. He sees you standing there staring at the ground. Now, I've told you before, you wouldn't like it if you worked all week long or all month or all year long to put together Granny's 95th birthday party. And then half of your crazy cousin's kids didn't even sing to Granny. They stared at the floor when everybody else was singing Happy Birthday. You want people to honor Granny, sing Happy Birthday, hug her neck, show her some love on her special day. We need to act like we came to praise him when we say we're praising him. We need to open our mouth and sing to the Lord. Can anybody agree with that? I don't care if there's three people in the room or 300 people in the room. You are responsible for your own praise. You are responsible for your own worship. You can't get off by saying, well, nobody on my row was singing, and I didn't want to draw attention to myself. I ain't seen nobody doing so much they're drawing attention to themselves. We want to praise God. We want to worship God. That's one of the reasons we gather as a church. We gather to obey him. He told us not to forsake the meeting of ourselves together. We gather because we want to learn. We want to have discipleship. We want to hear from the word and believe that God still speaks, and we want to fellowship with each other. These are some good reasons to come to church. I don't know why you came today, but I do know God is alive. I do know his book is different than any other book. It's a living word, and we're going to look at it today, and I want you to let it speak to you. The Bible, in many places, compares living the Christian life to running a race, and I want to speak to Christians this morning. You say, well, it's a Christian church. That's who you should speak to. We know everybody in the room is not a Christian, and I'm okay with that. I want unsaved people to come to our church, a bunch. I just don't want them to stay unsaved. I want struggling, addicted people to come to our church. I just don't want to see them stay struggling and addicted. I want whoremongering, fornicating, backbiting sinners to come to our church. I just don't want them to stay whoremongering, backbiting sinners after they come. We, We need to get better. Can we agree with that? We, we, need, we need to grow. We need to run this race. Paul said that he had finished his course because he ran the race that God had for him. I want you to know every one of us has our own individual race. That's why you should never fall into the devil's trap of judging another person. 
When you begin to judge another person, the devil has won in your life because he's caused you to take your eyes off you and put your eyes on somebody else. He's caused you to take your focus off your personal relationship with God and put that focus on somebody else. And the scripture declares plainly that all of us have to live unto God and die unto God for ourselves. When you stand before God, the Bible says you will be naked with nothing to hide behind. There'll be no excuses, there'll be but my husband, but my wife, but my kids, but my church. All these people that think they're going to get to heaven and and be justified telling God, well, the church hurt me, so I just gave up on what you said that you loved and gave your life for. We have a responsibility unto God. I told you, every one of us, not just our elders, every one of us have a charge to keep and a God to glorify. The charge to keep is not just for being ordained into ministry. All of us have a ministry because ministry is just meeting people's needs. And whether it's holding a door for someone or smiling for someone or helping carry a bag for someone, we need to be involved in loving God and in loving people. This race that we have to run is is individual. Paul said that he finished his race. I want to finish my race. You got to start right to finish right, but I've seen some people start right that didn't finish right. And, and, and it's easy to start a race, but it's not always easy to finish a race. It's easy to start a diet, but it's not always easy. Anybody? Come on now. I'm not by myself. It's easy to start a gym membership in January, but all the real gym rats are glad you're gone by February so they can get back on their machine. It's easy to start this thing of this Christian race, but it's not easy. To finish it. That's why I love the words to that old contemporary Christian song. May all who come behind us find us faithful. Once you start getting up into your 50s and 60s, you get to my age, you start thinking about leaving a legacy. You start thinking about impacting your family once you're gone. You start hoping that your kids will follow you and your grandchildren will follow you in the ways of Christ. You've got a race to run that's yours. God designed it for you. Paul had a race to run that was his. God designed it for him. I have a race to run that is mine. God designed it for me. But I can tell you this about everyone's race. No one's race is easy. The race that God has for you, the life that God has for you in Christ, it's not an easy life. It's not something that you should be able to just do in comfort and in ease. It needs to be so hard and so difficult that you got to cry out for God's help every step along the way. People have taken one verse of Scripture, and I I need to write a book because I'm constantly pointing out to you the most misconstrued verses in the Bible, but people have taken one verse of Scripture and have built a false theology around it by saying, God won't give you anything more than you can bear. And people send that message out on social media. They, they, they send that to their friends, well-meaning. And they even brag. I've had people brag, uh, or th- try to brag on me and try to, try to make me feel better about me. They, they hear the story of my life and what my family has been through personally. And they say, well, Pastor God, the only reason you've gone through all that is because God knows how strong you are. God ain't into glorifying me. God's not into, into my strength. God's into my weakness and his strength. That doesn't give God honor by saying, well, Pastor Scott, the only reason so-and-so is going through so much is because God knows they can handle it. Because you know God wouldn't put more on The Bible says, no, the Bible doesn't say God won't put more on you than you can bear. 
The Bible says that God will not tempt you above that you are able, but with every temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Not bear your load, bear the temptation. He said every temptation has an exit ramp. So don't think you can say, well, you know, uh, I I got into something and there was no way out, so I just went through with it. No, there's always a way out. Listen, extra, extra, good news, Christian. No matter where you are, no matter how deep you are, no matter how far off path you are, there's always an exit ramp off the wrong road that will take you right back to Jesus. Can we agree with that? How they get out of that verse that God won't put more on you than you can handle is ridiculous. Because I've been in this thing for a long time, and I can promise you it's God's purpose to put more on you than you can handle. God is going to continue to put on you more and more and more until you finally bend your knee and bow your head and say, God, I cannot do it by myself. I need thee. Oh, I need thee every hour. When you get to that place, then God's going to reach down and help carry your load. Don't be one of these people like, oh, well, it's just my load to carry, but God knows I can handle it. No. Stop handling it. We were not built to be plow mules. We were not built to be pack mules. We were not built to carry heavy load. We were designed by God to come to him because we got a heavy load and give it to him because his, his load is easy and his burden is light. But there is a load and there is a burden. There's a race and every race is difficult. That's why we have to press our way. Say press. I want you to get this word press in your mind today because there is an effort required to be the man, the woman, the young person that God wants you to be. Every real race has a starting line and a finish line. And that stuff that happens in the middle from the beginning to the end, that's where the press takes place. So you're in your press right now. You're in the press portion of your race. I'm in the press portion of my Paul's race is over. Paul's done with his race. There's there's no more pressing for him. There's only entering into God's rest for him. There's no more pressing for him. There's only eternal Sabbath for him. But we are still in our press. Don't take one verse. People think every verse in the Bible is, is to be lived out. No, every verse in the Bible is truth. Some things were said in the Bible when Job's friends gave him horribly bad advice. God recorded those words accurately, but the words they spoke to him weren't true. The words they spoke to him were false. The words they spoke to him were wrong. God recorded it accurately. But you can't say, well, I'm just saying what the Bible says. If the Bible's recording some inaccurate information accurately, what are you talking about, Pastor Scott? Well, you can say, I'm just being like the psalmist laying on my bed saying, how long, Lord, how long? No, he wasn't laying on a bed saying, how long, Lord? And that wasn't showing the best part of him. That was letting you know that we all go through stuff. But God says, get up. Wipe your face, lift your eyes toward heaven, and press your way. You have a race to run. You have a charge to keep. You got a God to glorify. You are past your starting line. I hope so. Every Christian in the room, I can promise you, past your starting line. The starting line for me was July 15, 1981. I bowed on my knees, and I was born again. July 15, 1981, no doubt in my mind about it. Not because anything special I did, but because God loved me and he chased me down with his grace and his mercy, revealed himself to me and changed me from the inside out. That's my starting line. July 15, 1981. I don't know when your starting line was, but you got to have one. If someone asks you, when did you become a Christian? 
and you say, oh, I've always been saved. I've been coming to church since I was little. You have just declared to that person that you don't know what real salvation is. We, none of us were always saved. The Bible says that we have to receive power from God to become Christians. But the starting line is when you get saved. The finish line is when you are not here anymore. Guess what's going on every step of the way from the starting line to the finish line? Your race. And guess what you have to do when it's your race? You have to press. And you have to press. Listen, I got good news for you. Might not come true, but it's good news to me. And I'll encourage myself in the Lord and in the things of God because you can't look at me to tell. But God's having truth. I, I can show you trophies and ribbons and letters. I used to be an athlete, and I know a lot about running. I ran in the military every day. We ran every day in the Army. See, it's not like the Navy Deacon West. We don't wear mixed match uniforms, baseball caps in the army. Ain't that right, Sergeant Major? We, 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 look, we look together. We walk in unity and one accord, and, and we run together, we sing together, we march together, we fight together, and, and, and th thank God for all those who've been willing to die together. Amen? Amen. We got a great country because people pay the price. Every time I hear someone, and my kids know, and they'll say it before I say it because they're like y'all. They get tired of hearing my speeches. Every time I hear somebody say something about getting something for free, there's nothing for free. Somebody's paying for it. You might have went to college for free, but somebody paid that teacher to tell you. Somebody paid for everything. People say, oh, I'm going to get me a new, I'm going to get something free from the government. The government don't own anything. The government can't create anything. They have to buy stuff. With money, there's nothing free. The, the freedom that we have as Christians in America is not free. People had to press their way and fight for it. But back to the Navy, they, they, the running's different. It, it's just not all, you know, sitting at the motor pool, drinking coffee and playing dominoes. It's, 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 it's a lot of getting up at 4.30 in the morning. And, and, am I right? 35 years in the Army, you ought to know something about it. Every day, two miles running, five miles on Friday. And I can remember, see, because I told y'all before, I never, even though I played every sport growing up, I never got that whole second wind. I think it's a line of myth. I never got that runner's high. People would tell me, Scott, keep running, man. You're going you're gonna to catch your stride, and that breathing, that breathing's going to slow down, and your heart's going to regulate. No. Whether it was two miles or five miles or a 15-pound forest march with 85 pounds on my back and a weapon right here. <laughs> From the second step, I, I was laboring the whole time. I was pressing my way through the whole race. And I had to press my way or fall out. Listen, falling out is not an option for me in Christ. And you need to make it not an option for you in Christ. You need to make quitting not an option for you in every covenant relationship you have. You need to understand that God says his promises are to those who endure. And we have got to press our way, we got this starting line, we're going to have a finish line. People want to fall trap, or they don't want to, but they fall prey to these simple tools, schemes that the enemy has. God said, don't be unwise concerning the strategy of the devil. That tells me he has a strategy. He, he has tricks, he has schemes, the Bible calls them. And, and one of those strategies is to get people depressed. To get them off of their excitement and their joy. For Christ, One, that makes you a horrible witness. 
If you are busted, disgusted, can't be trusted, if you're stressed and depressed and can barely get dressed, I want the, you can't be a good witness. Come to Jesus and get what I got. Uh, what? Zombieism and medication? No, I, I think I'll stay away from that as far as I can. We, we, people that fall into that, though, they stop pressing their way. They, they just lay down and they say stuff and they think stuff like, just no purpose for me to be here anymore. I just, I've outlived my usefulness. There's, there's nothing left for me in this life. I want to expose all those as lies. You know, when you turn a light on in the room, I love being a big stadium when they turn a light on at night and you can just see it chase the darkness out of the whole, just flush the darkness. When you turn a light on in a dark place, it just chases the darkness out of the room. And I want to expose some darkness today by telling you God's truth. If there was no more purpose for you, if there was no reason for being here, if there wasn't any usefulness left for you, you would have crossed your finish line and been in heaven now. The fact that you're still here today means God's still got a plan, a preparation, a usefulness, and a destiny for you. And we need to press our way in to this destiny. We are in between. We are in between our starting line and our finish line. And the in between is where the work happens. I've talked to y'all before about the dash. The dash is what makes the difference. I've already got my dash printed. That's a little weird to look at. When I go to Gail's funeral, uh, graveside, and I don't go much because I know she's not there, but, you know, sometimes it's just overwhelming to me, and I'll find myself there. She's got a little headstone there, gives her date of birth, dash, the date she died, July 16, 2006. Hard to believe it's been almost 11 years because it feels like yesterday. Next to her headstone is my headstone. And it says August 6, 1963, dash. Oh, they're waiting. This is already paid for. The, the vault that they dropped the wooden coffin down into and the sealed top, the, the land, the headstone, all they got to do is peel that dirt back, drop me in there, and put a little plaque on there with the, with the second date on that headstone. And they'll be done with me. See, my dash is already carved into a headstone in Clay County. But it's not the literal carving of that dash that makes a difference. It's what you do between your start and your finish that makes the difference. You're in your dash right now. You're in your in-between time. If you study the Bible, and I hope that you will, you'll find out between every promise and every promised land was a wilderness journey. Between every starting point of moving toward what God has for his people and actually receiving it, there's a pressing that has to be endured. There's a difficult journey that has to be endured. And I need you to hear me well. It's difficult by design. Why does my life have to be so hard? God wants it to be. Why do I have to go through? God wants it to be. So you will stop driving your own life. Not even get over into the passenger seat. See, some, some people look, look at God, Jesus take the wheel. Cute song. But some people look at Jesus taking the wheel like one of those driver's ed cars where the driver's ed sitting next to you, instructor, and any time he wants, he's got his own steering wheel. And you got your own. Listen, in the steering wheel of your life, there's only one steering wheel. And either you got your hands on it or you've yielded that to God. See, getting out of the driver's seat and getting into the passenger seat and letting God drive, that's cool. But getting out of the driver's seat and getting into the back seat and laying down and not even watching the road and taking a nap and just resting, that's heaven. 
I want you to learn how to understand that if you take your hands off your life, God will put his hands on it. Your race is designed to be hard. Your dash is designed to be hard. It's got to be so hard that you cry out to God and ask for his help. He said he's the God of all comfort. The psalmist said, I cried unto the Lord in my day of trouble, and he heard me, and he helped me, and he delivered me out of all my struggle. We are gotta, we've got an in-between time right now. You're still here by design. You're in your dash. You're in your middle of your race, but you've got to press. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew eleven twelve, talking about how this race unfolds, how this kingdom life is lived. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. This is the story of the Lord's church. From the time of John the Baptist preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing. That word forcefully is not there to play with. That word forcefully is there because it's the truth. God didn't add words for no reason. He didn't leave out any words. He put all the words in the Bible that need to be there. They all have purpose. They're all there for a reason. This lets us know how God's kingdom is advancing. The only way God's kingdom is advancing in 2017 is forcefully. It's just like getting up and running that two miles every day. You can't just sit in the bed and think about it. I already told y'all, real verbs take real action. People that say, I praise God and I love God in my heart. Listen, love's a verb. you got to do something to prove it. Praise is a verb. you got to do something to prove it. I can't lay in bed and wonder, why ain't I losing weight? I'm running two days, two miles every day in my mind. I'm laying in the bed just running them two miles every day, and I'm not getting in any better shape. Somebody asked me, Pastor, you going to get in shape this year? I told him I'm already in a shape. Round is a shape. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm going to get healthier, but we'll worry about that shape later. You can't run for real in your mind. You've got to get up and get after it. You can't run the Christian life just in your mind. That's the problem. That's why some people deal with the difficulty but never walk in the blessing. You deal with the difficulty because you're alive and living on this earth. But you don't walk with the blessing because you won't obey God long enough to be blessed by him. He said he rewards those that diligently seek him. But if we're up and down all the time, that's not diligent. we got to be serious about advancing God's kingdom. And the only way that happens is by force. you got to force yourself every day to read your Bible. you got to force yourself every day to say your prayers. If you, and I hope that you don't, because I hope you start your day with the proverb of the day. We've been teaching that since we started. I hope you read the corresponding proverb to the day of the month before you leave your home in the morning. I hope before your feet touch the ground, you say good morning to God and acknowledge the presence of God in your life. But if you get to the end of your day, and you're laying in bed, and it dawns on you, I didn't read my Bible today. That's God tapping you on the heart, saying, get up. Get up. Get up. If you're laying in bed and you realize, I don't think I prayed enough today. And you think the easy way, I'll pray extra tomorrow. No, that's God tapping you on your heart saying, get up, Christian, and get on your knees. Lean on this bed that I've given you and tell me that you love me. Force has to happen. We need a militancy. In Christianity, 
I'm not talking about one that protests and burns stuff and tears stuff up. That, that's, not, that, that's, that's not proper behavior. That's criminal behavior. But we need a determination, a resolution that creates a revolution that says, come hell or high water, I'm going to be the man God wants me to be. I'm going to be the woman God wants me to be. I'm going to If nobody else, what, what does Psalmist say? If mama and daddy forsake me, God's going to be there for me to lift me up. We've got to understand that God is worth serving. He said it's only been advancing by force. You want your community to be a better place? It's not going to happen on its own. It is not going to happen on its own. Now, watch this. I'm not going to do it, so don't get up, Deacon West. If, if I let go of this book, how many people believe it's going to hit some part of that blue carpet? It's going to. Am I going to have to force it down, or is it just going to happen on its own? Stuff goes down. Now, you said if I let go of this book, it's going to hit some part of this blue carpet. Now, don't get up. But if I told Deacon West to get up and come catch this book when I let it go, how many people believe that he has the, the dexterity and, and, and the physical wherewithal to catch it before it hits the blue carpet? That would happen. So it takes force for something better to happen than what happens by nature. Why? The second law of thermodynamics says that everything's degrading. Everything's falling down. Everything's going backwards on its own. To progress, you've got to apply force. You've got to put effort into a thing. Every relationship you have will deteriorate left alone. Every friendship, every love relationship, your relationship with your kids, with your boss, every part of it, leave your health alone. It'll get worse. Leave your job alone. You won't even be able to call it a job much longer. You show up and they'd be like, oh, you don't work here no more. Why? Because it takes effort even to maintain something. If we hope to move something forward, it takes a pressing. It takes a forceful advancing. All right? It says the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing, comma. You always hear me say, pay attention to the punctuation. you got to read between the punctuation. you got to take the word in bite-sized pieces so you can get it down inside you and understand it. The last phrase in verse 12 says, and violent people are attacking you. You realize that this generation, although there are new attacks, attacking the church is not new. Attacking God's church is not new. Coming against the written word of God is not new. Opposing the will of God is not new. Violent people are going to continue to attack Christianity. The world is going to continue to come against Christianity. But if we are going to be the people God called us to be, we're going to have to forcefully press our way into doing what God has called us to do. I want us to look at the verses real quick this morning that precede our opening verse in Philippians 3 and learn how to do what God has called us to do. First thing I want you to think about as we go into this text is we must find our identity in Christ alone. I talked about this a little bit Wednesday night. So many people find their identity in different things. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Pentecostal. I, I'm a church of God. I'm a church of God by faith. I'm, I'm a Mormon. I'm a, what, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Mason. I'm, I'm white. I'm black. I'm Puerto Rican. I'm Hispanic. I'm a... People find their identity in all these different things. I'm a member of this club, or I'm, I'm a member of that club. I'm, a, I'm an alumni here, or I'm a fan there. People find their identity, and people want these different levels of identity for acceptance. You, you think I'm kidding? I, I, I could go to the North Florida Gators Club on a Thursday night, take Diggy West with me in his Florida State gear, 
and I will be in my gator gear, one of us going to find acceptance and one of them going to be shown the door. And it ain't going to be me being shown the door. Why? Because the very fact that you say, I want to identify with you guys, I hold to what you hold to, opens the door of acceptance to you. We need to begin to see our identity in Christ. There is an open door of acceptance to you inside the church of God. There is an open door of acceptance to you inside the kingdom of God. But we've got to stop finding our identity in so many other things. We've got to stop finding our identity in our social class, in our political affiliation, in our racial background, in our, in, in our cultural background, in our national background. All souls belong to the Lord. And we need to find our identity in Christ alone. In Philippians 3 verse 4, Paul is talking about his life in contrast to a group of people who were liars and schemers and, and frauds. He was contrasting his life to a group of people who thought they were as qualified as he was qualified, and he wants to set some records straight. So he said, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, period. <laughs> he said, are these guys out there thinking that they're doing a good job? They, they think that they're, they're good at what they do? If anybody could be confident in, in, in their own effort, Paul said, it's, it's me. He said, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Well, that don't sound real humble. That don't sound real, real Christian on Paul's part. He's saying, y'all think y'all got it going on? I'm better than all y'all. But the story keeps going. You got to keep reading the story. He's, he's setting up the story to make his point. In verse 5, he said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. See, that was a big deal back then. They don't wait on that now, though. They just take the baby from you and go to chopping. Trust me, I, I've only had boys. They, they, you, won't, you won't bring them back on the eighth day. They just take them and that, that's it. I want to believe they ain't fully feeling everything yet because mm, we'll talk about that painfulness some other time. But this, these were all things that gave you higher status in the Jewish culture. Did you dot all the I's and cross all the T's? Did you come from the right side of the track? He said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. The racial disparity was so great in the first century and before that Jews wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street as Gentiles. If they accidentally got too close to you and felt your breath on them, they had to go home and ceremoniously cleanse themselves because they felt you had defiled them just by breathing the air they breathed. That's <laughs> pretty hateful. He said, I, I, if there ever one, it was me. He went on to say, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He said this under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He is telling a truth. He says, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul was born on the right side of the tracks. He had the right pedigree. He, he was of the dominant race of his time. He was, a, he, he was the top of the religious sect of his time. And he did it better and harder, stronger and longer than anybody else. And in verse 7, he said, I once thought these things were valuable. Come. Now, let's just Bible study like we're on a Wednesday night Bible study. He said, I once thought these things were valuable. What does it infer by him saying, I once thought this way? What's that saying to us about his now? He no longer thinks that way. He don't think that way anymore. He has grown in his thinking, and we need to grow in our thinking. We need to grow. I told you all Wednesday night, I, I am much more 
culturally biased than I am racially biased. The evidence of my life is that you come to eat lunch with me, you're probably going to have people of multiple races sit down with us at the same time because that's just the flavor of my life. I told you all the first time Jake ever tried out for a baseball game, uh, he, he, we went out there, we were living on the lake in Lake Asbury. They spread all these kids out on the field, had all these different coaches out there, and they divided the kids up. Jake gets in the car. He did great. In his practice, they had him catching the ball and throwing the ball. He was four or five years old, just about to turn five, out there, did great, gets in the car and starts crying. I said, ain't no crying in baseball. <laughs> That's funny right there. But I said, what's wrong, son? He said, I don't like my coach. I said, you don't even know your coach. You ain't even, you ain't even sat down with him. He said, I know who my coach is going to be. I said, well, what's wrong with that? He said, they put me with the white coach, and I wanted the brown coach. I said, why would you want the brown coach? He said, because they're better. See, this, 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 is the, this is the mindset. So when, when I say I'm more culturally, what I, what I mean by that? Hey, if you sit down with me and you order a glass of unsweet tea, that's our conversation right there. <laughs> Red, yellow, black, white, sit down, we're okay. You sit down, you order unsweet tea, we got to talk. We got to talk about what, 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 what are they doing to y'all up north? I mean, you don't eat grits. That's bad enough. But, but to drink, uns- I, I just want to ask every unsweet tea drinker, have you tried it? It's better than crack. I mean, have you tried it? Now, if you're drinking it for your health, I got to give my sister a pass because she's my sister. and She grew up drinking sweet tea. But if you're drinking it to be healthier, if, you know, if you're doing a little half and half because you got a conscience, then you got to do what you, you got to do. But cultural bias is as big as any type bias that there is in the world. And, and it was in Paul's day, and he had all the boxes checked. Race, culture, education came from money, citizen of Rome, Hebrew of the Hebrews, part of the leadership of what's going on and he once thought that those things were valuable but now he said I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done he found a new place to get his identity he found a new place to feel good about who he was because you all all of us need to feel good about who we are we need to understand that we are somebody we need to understand that we are not a mistake. We need to understand that we are not less than because somebody said we were less than. We need to understand that it doesn't matter how much melanin you have in your skin or how many degrees you got or didn't to get in college. That is not what defines us. What defines us with a Christian worldview is that our Father is the God of everything and we're His children and He loves us and He made a place for us. Paul said, man, I used to think all my junk was impressive, but now I see no value in that at all because of what Jesus did. Verse 8, he said, yes, comma. He's answering the question people have in their head. You ever try to tell your kids something and you know what they're thinking? You ever try to tell your kids something and you know they're, they're in their mind they're just about to ask you some silly question? He knew what they were thinking. He knows what they're thinking. Are you serious right now? You, 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 don't, you don't feel like being a Pharisee sets you apart? You don't feel like being circumcised sets you apart? All these things you lived your whole life on saying this is what made you better than everyone else? You don't feel that anymore? So he starts off by saying, yes, come. Answering the question he knows they have in their mind. He said, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else is worthless when you compare it to knowing God. 
everything else. Whatever you think makes you somebody, your gift, your talent, your pedigree, your, your resume, which should be resume. Am I right? I can't look at that word and not wonder why they don't call it a resume. But your re- any, all those things that you think make you somebody, that's not nearly as important as God and what he's done. God had done something in Paul's life that gave him a new identity. I hope you have a new identity. He said, for his sake, I've discarded everything else. Come. For his sake, for Jesus' sake, I've discarded everything else. He didn't go around anymore bragging about who he was and what made him special. He went around bragging on God. He said, if he's going to glory about anything, he would glory about Christ and the cross. He said, I counted all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Everything that the news and the media wants to do to divide God's church is manipulative with division and hate at its basis. And we need to count all that as garbage and count being Christian as valuable. You don't need to worry about whether I'm Democrat or Republican. You you, you just need to love me because I'm Christian. It shouldn't impact you. Listen, I'm preaching myself. It shouldn't impact me what kind of tea you drink. Amen? I just need to be glad that you're saved and that God is your Father. We need to count all the rest of that stuff as garbage. Separate me based on what you say divides me from the people that are God's people. That's where my identity is. I, I have to have an identity in Christ alone. Verse 9, he said, and not, not only that I could gain Christ, but become one with him. No longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. The bulk of the gospel is found in the last verse, in the last sentence of verse 9. It says God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. See, there's two major approaches to God. Works and grace. Works, trying to work, trying to do right, trying to live right, trying to obey all the rules. So you think you deserve God's grace or just by what you believe. You can try to live the right way and that will gain you nothing with God because the scripture says God's way of making you right with him depends on faith. Now we need to live right to be blessed. But to be right with God, we got to think right. we got to believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. We've got to have faith in him because the Bible says by the keeping of the law, nobody's going to be justified. This is a by faith thing. And you need to have faith that says God's in heaven and he loves me. He's given me a new life. And we need to have a new attitude and a new sense of identity. The second thing, we must know him more than anything else. If we took a survey right now and try to find out what you were passionate about, let's say you're passionate about fishing. I wish Brother David was here today. Pray for him. Uh, That brother is passionate about fishing. He could talk about fishing and talk about fishing and talk about fishing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you shouldn't be more passionate about anything than you are about Christ. See, I, I, I promise you this. Wayne is passionate about some Kansas City football and every other sport. He, he's got a Kansas City thing in his mind. But if he is more determined to be passionate about sports than he is about God, and I don't believe that he is, I'm using that as an example, then something's out of balance because we need to know him more than anything else. Every person in this room could give us cool little tidbits, factoids, snippets, 
interesting trivia about your favorite subject, even if your favorite subject is your child. You Think about all the trivial tidbits you have on your child. Think about, you can tell everybody when, how old they were when they first walked. You can tell everybody what they wore to their first church service. You can tell everybody what sink you bathed them in for their first. You know all these little tiny pieces of information about your children because you love them. But what if we gave you a pad and pen and said, now write down all the information you know about God. See, sometimes you say, oh, me. Sometimes you just have to say, ouch. We need to want to know. Want to know. Say want. We need to understand it's a want. Hey, listen, people got it twisted. People think that somebody who knows a lot about the Bible is spiritual. They could be lost and know a lot about the Bible. There's lots of people that know a lot about the Bible that are mean, evil, and unsaved. Knowing a lot about God and the Bible doesn't make you spiritual. Wanting to know a lot about God in the Bible is what makes you spiritual. You need to have a want to. Maybe you hadn't been around long enough. Maybe you let yourself get sidetracked. Maybe you haven't been as diligent as you know you should be. But there ought to be a want to inside you. There ought to be a want to in you that says, I want to know him more than anything else. I want to know more about him than I know about my children. I want to know more about him than I know about theology. I want to know more about him than I know about sports. I want to know more about him than I know about anything. This is the heart's cry that we have got to come to. Paul speaks about that in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead, period. Well, that's good because a lot of people can get in on that first sentence. Did you get it? Did you get it? Did you get that power? People want to talk about power. People want wonder-working power. People, people want that, that special power. People want to experience something, and that's cool. He goes on, though, because it doesn't stop there in the life of the real believer. He said, I want to suffer with him. Woo! We're on a different plane now. We're on a whole different level now. And see, people want the blessing. They don't want the suffering. But if, if you get in Christ long enough, you start to understand stuff, you'll find out that the blessing is in the suffering. Jake was telling me the other day that he likes being able to go to the gym every day because he knows that if his muscles were sore, that he's using them right. He wants to have that discomfort in his body because he knows that that's going to help him get his goals. See, guys like me, I'll go to the gym because I don't want to suffer. <laughs> Listen, the only thing I want to sweat doing is preaching. They say, why do preachers sweat? Because if you're preaching right, there, there, there's a release spiritually that comes out of you. The I, I, only thing I want to suffer for is Christ. I ain't putting myself through it. Runners, I'm convinced that marathoners, triathletes, I'm convinced there's a level of self-hatred that goes on there that is unexplainable. <laughs> the type of person willing to torture themselves for 26.2 miles, they have some serious personal animosity. I mean, think about it. You're like, I, I, I need to get out and go walk around the block and try to stay healthy. That's noble. I, I need to get up and go run 15 miles today. You're just killing yourself. Beating your knees and hips and joints into death. But, but people that, that understand that the advancement comes through the suffering can advance quicker. Paul said, it ain't just that I want to experience the power. I want to suffer with him. I want to share it in his death. He wanted to partake of everything that Jesus, he wanted to go through everything Jesus went through. 
See, it's common to tell somebody today, you don't feel me. Or to ask somebody, you feel me? He wanted to feel everything that Jesus went through. He wanted to know him on a deep level. He wanted to understand not just the power, but the suffering. Not just the suffering, but the death. Verse 11 says, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. He said, man, I, I want to know more about him than anything else. So whether it comes by experiencing the power, whether it comes by going through suffering for his namesake, or whether it comes through a death of martyrdom the way Jesus died, he said, whatever it takes, one way or another, the end goal is resurrection. See, he knew what Jesus prize was after Jesus crossed the finish line, which was resurrection. Well, as believers, we believe in resurrection, and we believe the Bible teaches that Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead so that all who came after him, believing in his name, could experience the resurrection of the dead. Paul's like, man, I know what's on the other side of my finish line, and I'm going to press till I get there so that one way or another I can experience this resurrection from the dead. Third thing, we must admit that we're not there yet. This should not be hard. This should not be hard for any of us. This should not be hard for you to admit you got a long way to go. The only people that don't think they have a long way to go as Christians are extremely immature Christians. I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. I can remember my first few years in Christ. I had already been, already been awarded the presidential scholarship at Luther Rice Bible College and Seminary. I'd already done a lot of cool things in ministry. I was already being asked to preach all over. And, and, and pe people were filling my head up with, with how much I knew about God. And I thought I knew so much and people need to catch up to me. I look back on that time and I realized I knew so very little about Christ then. People who think they know a lot are exposing that they don't know that much. Because if you ever really begin to learn about God, you're going to be overwhelmed with how much more there is to learn that you haven't scratched the surface of yet. And so we got to admit that we're not there yet. This should be easy for mature believers. Verse 12, Paul said, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, period. See, people were blowing up Paul's head. People love, well, not everybody. Some people like to hate the preacher. These were his friends. They, they, like, to, they like to compliment him. He wanted to let them know, I ain't there. Don't look at me like I'm there. I got a long way to go. I ain't there yet. I, 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 I got plenty of struggle in my own life. He said, I, I haven't achieved these things. I, he, people were like, well, I, I can't receive from Pastor so-and-so because he, he ain't even living everything he's preaching. Only person that ever lived everything they preached was Jesus. Paul said, I ain't achieved all these things I'm talking to you all about. Still in my process, still in my struggle. Listen, the, the, the person that serves you the food don't have to be able to cook it. Am I right or wrong? It'd be like, I need to see your chef credentials before you set that steak down. Just set the steak down. I'll figure out if it's good or not. And if the steak's bad, I, I, I will tell the waiter to address the chef. But he said, I, I, all this stuff I'm talking to you all about, I'm not even there yet. Now, if Paul could say he ain't there yet. And God used him to write half the New Testament. If Paul can say he ain't there yet, and he was the most anointed man on the planet in his century, if Paul can say he's got a long way to go, who are we not to understand that about ourselves? This ought to be the easiest part of the message. He said, I ain't there. I've not even achieved all the things that I'm talking to you about. People today would be like, well, then you need to get your act together and then come back and teach me. He knew what the truth was. 
But he was in his process. He said, but. Now, this is where he changes it. He's put out all the, all the truth. And he says, but, even though I'm not there, even though I haven't achieved all these things, even though I'm not where I know I need to be and I haven't arrived yet, he said, I press. I press. He didn't take it lightly. He didn't just come to church skipping and missing. He didn't approach God on a maybe today, maybe tomorrow basis. He pressed. He pressed his way. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He said, I want to grab hold of the one who grabbed me. I want to possess the one who possesses me. I, Jesus, if you're saved, you're saved because God reached down and picked you up out of the mud and the mire and set you on a solid foundation. Now, our response to his picking us up, grabbing us, and holding us is for the rest of our life. We need to press our way to grab hold of him. He grabbed onto us. We need to learn how to grab onto him. We need to push distraction out of our way. We need to push defeat out of our way. We need to push struggle, strain, and tired out of our way. And we need to press on for that perfection which Christ first. We need to want him so much that we say, I'm not there yet. But I am going to get there. I'm not there yet, but I'm pushing my way. I'm not there yet, but I am pressing my way. You've heard me say for years, and I don't say it as an excuse. I say it because I feel it. I'm, I may not be all that I ought to be, but I thank God I'm not what I used to be. But the story doesn't stop there. You've heard me say that a thousand times. I'm not everything I, I, I should be, but I thank God I'm not what I used to be. That's not my catch for never growing anymore. That's not the end of the story for me. I'm just letting you know I'm still pressing. I, well, Pastor, I wish you'd press faster and get delivered quicker. Uh, me too. <laughs> me too. But don't hate. And don't judge. Pray for me. I pray for you. You press, I'll press. We've got to press on toward this thing. Verse 13, he said, no, dear brothers, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. He said, no, I have not achieved it. So he's making my point. None of us are there yet. None of us are there. They were telling him, oh, you're just the best Christian ever. You probably, you probably just, you, you just probably, have God appear to you every day, and y'all just probably hold hands and sing songs to each other. He's like, it ain't that way. I, I'm in my press, too. But the, the fourth thing I want you to see, we must forget the past. We must forget the past. We cannot ever be who God wants us to be unless we forget the past. He said, he said I, I'm not there. Verse 13, he said, no, dear brothers, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Every time I preach this verse for 35 years, I've always stopped and paused. And I'm going to stop and pause and preface it again. If your teacher tells you, this is the one big thing you need to know, that means write that down. If your father or mother, if your drill sergeant or your platoon leader, if your boss tells you, this is the one big thing you need to pay attention to, you need to sit up, open your eyes and ears wide, and, and, and zone in. Too easy to zone out. You got to learn how to zone in. He said, but this, but I focus on this one thing. The Apostle Paul's about to give the big secret. He's about to let the cat out of the bag. This is like Steph Curry's about to tell people how he can shoot five feet deeper than anybody else and make it look like less effort. He's about to tell people the big trick. This one thing, I focus on this one thing. 
forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. This is a, he says one thing. He, he summed it up in one thing, but it's twofold. You got to forget the past and you got to look forward to the future. Some people stop looking forward to the future because their road, their race, their journey has been too hard. So they stop thinking that there was a future that was filled with hope and purpose. Other people haven't let go of the past, so, so they're not doing the one thing. You got to do both parts of this one thing. This is two sides of one coin. You got to let go of the past and you got to press toward what's ahead. You got to let go of the past and you got to look forward to what's ahead. You need to let go of the past. That's all encompassing. Not just your past, my past, his past, her past, their past. You got to let go of every piece of the past. Well, I ain't doing it. Well, you do you. And just realize that you're not doing what God called you to do. Because God said to forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. Last point, we must press on. We must press on. We got to be in this fight, church. We got to fight for our own. We got to make investment in our own spirituality. We got to pray. We got to read. We got to serve. We got to give. We got to get in it like it's the last round. We must press on. In verse 14, Paul said, I press on. To reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. He said, I'm pressing on because I'm going to get my prize. He said, I'm pressing on. I'm going to finish this thing and I'm going to get my prize. I am pressing on to the end. That's how long you press, Christian, to the end. When does it get better? When it's over. When can you lay down and stop? When it's over. You got to press on. To the end. Finish well, person of God. Finish well. Run your race. Press your way. Don't give up. I can tell you a little bit about running, whether it's a short distance or a long distance. Now, this is a long distance race, so I'll tell you about long distance running. When we had to run that five miles every Friday, there were mile markers. We knew exactly how much was left. And we were, we were running. In formation, anyway, we were running seven-minute miles, so we could look at our watch and know how much time was left. Because we ran an exact seven-minute mile, five or 35 minutes, we were going to be done. When we got to that last mile marker, I knew. Seven minutes left, I can hold on. I already got 28 under my belt. I can do these last seven minutes. I already did four miles. I can get this. When you can see the finish line in front of you, that ought to give you faith to say, you know what, I've been pressing this long. I can press a little longer to get to the finish line. But I can tell you what happens on the flip side. And if you ever talk to a real runner, they, they, know, what it, they know what I mean when I say the bear jumped on my back. That last leg of the race, it just feels like somebody put a refrigerator on your back. And your legs get heavy get tired and, you, and it's like man it just feels like that last leg almost killed me that's mental your legs aren't any heavier they, they've been filled with blood the whole time you've been running your lungs haven't changed capacity they're the same size as when you started the race you can make it you just gotta act like that bear is not on your back and let that bear know speak to that mountain and let it know you're not gonna stop me from my race the Bible says we're not those kind. We're not those kind who turn back and quit. 
We're those kind that move ahead. I hope you'll be that way. Paul was that way. And he was able to say at the end of his life that he pressed his way through to the end of his race. I don't know what your race entails, but I know God can give you grace for your race. But you have to stop complaining about what part of your journey you're in. You can't keep worrying and being mad and angry about where you are. Embrace your space to get grace for your race. Complaining about where you are in life, complaining about your struggle, complaining about your strain is not giving God glory. Just let people know. When people ask, how you holding up? So many times when people ask me that, I, I, I think, and I'll say, let me tell you the truth, you want me to be religious. Because if I tell you the truth, I'm going to need about an hour and a half. But I'll just let you know that I'm believing God for better. And we'll leave it at that. Embrace where you are. Know that God has you in your race. Maybe you haven't been running at the right speed. Maybe you haven't been pressing. Maybe you've been giving it everything you have. Keep going. It's the last thing I'm going to tell you this morning. I want you to get it. There is a finish line. There is a finish line. There's a finish line for you. And just like every race, at the finish line, there's a welcoming party that's cheering you on. And there's a reward to be received. One day, every Christian is going to pass their finish line, and their race is going to be over. And the Lord Jesus, because he's no respecter of persons, because what he does for one, he'll do for another. We know for sure that when Stephen died, Jesus stood up and welcomed him into heaven. Your, your receiving party is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when your race is over, he's going to stand up. And he's going to welcome you into heaven. And you will know then it was worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to keep pressing. It's worth it to keep serving. It's worth it to keep giving. It's worth it to make him more important than us. Because there's an end to this race. And there's a prize that God is calling us to. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I get that this all wasn't for you. But there's no magical way to become a Christian. It's not about walking aisles and praying with preachers. It's about deciding that you want to believe in Jesus and live the life that he created you to live. The Bible says if you'll call on his name, he'll save you. Some of you need to do that today. Some of you need to be saved today. Some of you just need to ask God. You can ask him in your head right now. Please save me, God, and change me, and he'll do it. If you're here and you are saved, you need to make a determination that says, I don't care how heavy that bear gets on my back. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep pressing. I'm going to keep running. There's a finish line in front of me, and with God's strength and God's grace, I will get there. Don't quit. Do not ever quit. God will carry you when you can't run if you'll let him. You just keep moving. Keep pressing. Stay determined to finish your race so that you can have the prize that God, through Jesus, is calling you to. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us a race. Thank you for giving us strength for our journey. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would empower us to keep pressing, to keep running, to keep following you, to put you first, to finish well. 
You finished your course, Jesus. And we thank you for that. And we ask you to help us finish ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.